Hi, my name's Justin Hayat. I'm a lie. I'm an eternal pessimist, a gay Republican, a loyal friend, and an excellent schmooze. I'm a writer, operator, connector, and allegedly a macher. One night, though, I stumbled upon this old Jewish story of the Lamed Vav Sadiqin, the 36 anonymous good people whose work would redeem the world. I wondered, do they exist? Can people find them? Could their goodness rub off on me? Is there magic in this world that I just couldn't see? I couldn't resist finding out, so I set off to Israel with a mission. I was going to find these secret souls and hear their stories. We're calling this journey 36. You can find 36 and other podcasts from Soul Shop wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe now. This is Eitan Weinstein. And I'm Naor Menninger. And you're listening to Two Nice Jewish Boys. In collaboration with Australian Jewish News, check them out at ajn.timesofisrael.com. Also in collaboration with Arutz Sheva, israelnationalnews.com. Israel is still licking its wounds from what happened here in May, as thousands of Israeli-Palestinians stormed the streets in violent protests, lynches, and vandalism. With very few people arrested and persecuted and prosecuted, it seems like the repercussions of what happened will continue to resonate in the near future, and nobody truly knows when the next time a match will ignite the explosive barrel on which we're all sitting. In the meantime, Iran is growing stronger by the day and getting closer and closer to the bomb, while America's influence in the Middle East is weakening and Israel is seeking new alliances with unexpected partners like the UAE and Bahrain. To talk about all of this and much more, we invited one of Israel's top experts on the Arab world, both near and far, Dr. Moldechai Kedal. Dr. Kedar has proposed the Palestinian Emirates plan, which he claims to be the only viable solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Dr. Kedar holds a PhD from Barilan University, where he's a lecturer and a scholar at the Begin Sadat Center for Strategic Studies. He's an expert for Arab media, as he's fluent in Arabic and frequently speaks uh, appears in Arabic-speaking TV channels such as Al Jazeera. We are honored to have Dr. Kedar on the show today to talk about everything Israel-Palestinian related, about the Arab world. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure and my honor. Before we get to the episode, we want you, dear listener, to ask yourself a question. What have you done these past two years? You know, the pandemic hit us all really hard. What have you really done other than perfect that matzo ball soup recipe of yours? Nothing. Now, we all want to add purpose and meaning to our life, and we just, we have the way to really, really make your dreams come true. If you're listening, you're likely interested in Israel with hopes of traveling here soon. Well, lucky for you, we've got the scoop on Masai's Israel journey. With an amazing range of life-changing opportunities in Israel, Masai has many, many programs. They've got gap year programs, academics internships, volunteering, and careers, the pandemic didn't stop them either. 
promoting options to study remotely while living in Israel. You don't have to be fluent in Hebrew or break your bank account. They even supply partial funding so you can make a positive impact on the world. You can fuel your passion and you can make your travel dreams a reality. Go to MasaIsrael.org and find out more. So what is the plan you propose that will bring finally the peace upon us? <laughs> well, depends <laughs> how you define peace. Because in the European definitions, peace means hugs and kisses between nations, cooperation, uh, cultural exchange, everything included. Here in the Middle East, uh, peace is something totally different. It's much more much closer to non-belligerence. That's all. Um, I'll give you a good example. I uh, was meeting uh, for a couple of years with some diplomats from the Egyptian embassy here in Israel. And one day I asked them, when will the relations between Israel and Egypt will be normalized? Because we have a peace agreement, but we, all, everything which we have is the non-belligerence and some cooperations about energy and security. That's all. No academic exchange, no cultural exchange, no economic uh, cooperation, nothing. So I asked them, when will you fill the content into the vessel, which is named the, the uh, peace agreement? So they look at each other and says, look, you Israelis cannot expect that the relations between us and you will be better and closer than what we have with the rest of the Arab world. Means uh, Arab countries do not cooperate within themselves. I'll give you a good example. Um, the European Union of today is actually a derivative of something which was beforehand, which was the common European market. The common European market was established only already in the end of the 40s in the in, in in process to rebuild Europe after the Second World War. And the Europeans understood that if you buy from each other, each other's products, you actually promote everybody. So they established this European common market. And later in the 90s, they uh, up, upgraded this market into the what we see today, the European Union. Here in the Middle East, the Arab League was established in 1945, also uh, towards the end of the Second World War. But until this very day, they have not yet created the United Arab Market. They don't buy from each other. They would rather buy from China, from Japan, from Europe, from other. Why? Because once he told me something, he, once he said something against me, let him go to hell. Grudges. Right. And this is actually what I would say one of the biggest obstacles of the Arab world to become a, 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 a power which could influence the world politics. Don't forget, here we are talking about 20-something countries uh, with the oil resources which are the biggest in the world. Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, the Emirates, Kuwait, Libya, Iraq, Syria, Yemen, Sudan, all are, Algeria as well, all are oil-producing countries. Yet, they have not succeeded to build themselves as a political power 
which can impose its agenda on others, in spite of the wealth uh, which they all have. Uh, means that because of their inner struggles within the Arab world, uh, they actually nullify each other's power. Which for us is not necessarily bad news. Look, even on the issue of Israel, they never were united. Although today uh, we diverse a little bit, but today it was published about a huge deal between Israel, Jordan and the uh, Emirates, about uh, building a mutual uh, resource uh, factories. Um, so that's look with Jordan we have development. We, with Jordan and Egypt, by the way, we have what they call KIZ, QIZ, qualified industrial zones. Uh, which it, it's a, something which uh, was built with America, with the United States, that the manpower is coming from Jordan and in Egypt, in the keys of uh, Egypt. The money comes from Israel, and the products can be shipped to the United States, whatever quantity you produce. This is the dream of every producer. To be able to sh- to send to the United States and to sell in the United States all of his products. And the United States was kind enough to give Israel and Jordan and Israel and Egypt this ability to build these keys in order to promote the cause of peace between Israel and Jordan and Israel and Egypt. Just, just to show the others that, hey guys, if you make peace with Israel, you'll also be able to enjoy this ability to produce whatever you, you like and and send it to the States. Of course, it has to be according to the American standards. You cannot sell garbage. But uh, uh, definitely, this is a, a very good uh, thing. Uh, but uh, uh, it, it didn't influence other countries because they are much less interested in economic development rather than restoring their land or restoring their honor or all these, all these things which are connected to the Arab culture. And this is why they, these countries are uh, still struggling for their... Uh, The status Back so how, how does how does the Israeli uh, or the Palestinian Emirates plan uh, solve for this issue what what happened with the Emirates is that relations between Israel and the Emirates were under the cover for many years many years um, I myself met with a lawyer who for 15 years already uh, represents the Emirati companies here in Israel and uh, he goes you know back and forth to Dubai and to Abu Dhabi and uh, there's no problem and, and they all know that he's, he's Israeli by the way he's religious so he goes around with the keeper so uh, um, there were relations no doubt of course they were under the current and under the cover and um, what happened is that uh, President Trump, decided that uh, enough is enough. Instead of uh, uh, using Israel as a mistress, you, you should use Israel as your wife. Okay? So this is actually what, uh, what he pushed them. Uh, the, the infrastructure for this peace, or cooperation even, large cooperation between Israel and Emirates was there already for years. Now, when the relations are open, now you can do much more. Banks can work here and there. Um, artists, look, in the coronavirus, we couldn't uh, go to all kinds of cultural events, like uh, singers. And so. so many Israeli singers went to Dubai, and they were yeah. singing there in the clubs or in... Uh, Some never music. came back. 
they had such good time they just stayed there good luck with good luck so <laughs> so they are, they are there yeah and then Omer Adam guys if Omer you don't Adam. know yeah. why not let him be there so <laughs> it's, really? a, it's a yeah. free it's a free country wow And if he makes business and brings some money. This is a free this country. Is a free, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there, there it's less. Not so much. <laughs> okay. But okay, so how is, how is the, I mean, is the, Israel, is the Palestinian Emirates plan leveraging this model? Like what is the plan itself? Well, the, the Palestinian Emirates plan should be explained. The Arab world actually is more or less sharply divided between successful states and fail, failing states. Failing states, I mean by Syria, Iraq, Sudan, Lebanon today, definitely a failing state. Uh, Li- um, Algeria, Yemen. Yemen, of course. Um, this is on the other side. While the successful states are Kuwait, Qatar, uh, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, Ras al-Khaimah, Fujah, the Emirates. And the question is, why this, the successful states are successful, while... the uh, failures are failures. What causes the failure here and the success there? Some would say the oil, but it's not correct because Iraq is an oil-producing country, uh, or so is Libya, so is Algeria, so is Yemen and Sudan, and these countries are failures. While Dubai has no oil and no gas, and Dubai is a success. So evidently, it's not the oil and the gas, because if, if the oil and the gas was the reason, so Iraq was in heaven on earth, Libya was another kind of heaven on earth, okay, and Dubai would be a hell on earth, but the situation is totally different, okay? Uh, Dubai is a heaven on earth, while Iraq and Libya are hell on earth. So what is really the reason? The reason is that if you check the, the social makeup of these countries, The failures you can find that these countries are are comprised comprised of uh, multiple groups like uh, uh, tribal groups uh, ethnic groups like Kurds and Arabs Turkmens or Berbers in North Africa uh, religious groups uh, Muslims Christians Yazidis Druze Alawis uh, only in Iraq there are ten religions and sectarian groups, because the Muslims, for example, are divided between Sunnah and Shia. Christians are well, some denom- denominations in Iraq only. And uh, so this, the societies in these uh, countries are fragmented along tribal lines, ethnic lines, religious lines, and sectarian lines. And the state as a framework, which was supposed to unite them all, Fell, failed in this attempt because the modern state never succeeded to settle in the hearts of the people and replace the, the traditional loyalties either to the tribe or to the ethnic group or to the religious or sectarian group. It was imposed on, on them by the Europeans. Right. It, it, these are artificial mm-hmm. countries or artificial states which, whose borders... were marked either by the British or by the French or by the Italians when it comes to the Libyan case, uh, usually according to their, I mean, the Europeans' uh, interests, not according to the local interests. So the state is viewed by most of the people 
as an illegitimate state because the Europeans marked the borders. Who the heck stuck us Arabs in Iraq with the Kurds? Who wants them? We hate them and they hate us. Okay, this is more or less how people in Iraq are uh, asking about the borders of the country. And, um, and, and the state uh, is held usually by a minority, which was given the weapons, the, the money, and the power by the British or by the French. And uh, they control everybody with a dictatorial means, means with, with uh, dungeons of torture, uh, you know, which you, we all saw in Syria and in Iraq and in Libya and all these things. So the state is illegitimate. How did it come about that the British chose specific minorities to actually rule? Like you the always, Alawites and uh, Syria? A colonialist always takes a minority in order to police the majority. Why? The minority will never rebel against the imperialist. The majority might have all kinds of uh, uh, dreams about independence, but a minority will never have. So, so the minority will always remain loyal to the to the colonial to, because they're the, the weaker, conquer. right? Because it, because they depend. And then when the colonialist backs away, it bites right. the minority so, in the right. ass. So uh, the state is illegitimate. the 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 laws of the of the state are modern laws because they they have to you know to deal with the united nations and all kinds of conventions and all kind of uh, uh, international uh, agreements and so forth while the population remains in most cases very traditional very conservative sticking to their uh, tribal uh, uh, habits and uh, laws and rules or islamic so why should we adhere to the state's uh, dictates? The state is not ours. This is why in, in these failing countries, uh, Iraq, Syria, and so forth, the state is actually the enemy of most of the people. The only people who feel you know, comfortable with the state is the ruling elite or the ruling tribe, as it is in Syria, the tribe of the Alawis, uh, which Assad belongs to, or the Dulaimis, the tribe of uh, Saddam Hussein, or the Qaddafis, the tribe of uh, Muammar Qaddafi. So they are—they only are the people who enjoy the state because they control everything and they manage everything in order to serve their own interests. So where does it meet the Palestinians? No. So the successful, the, the successful states. states are totally different. Mm -hmm. First of all, all of the successful states are one consolidated unit, one tribe. Uh, Kuwait is based on a tribe named Al-Sabah. Al in Arabic, in this case, is, the, is, uh, is a tribe. A tribe of Sabah. Uh, Qatar is Al-Thani. Uh, Abu Dhabi is Al-Niyan. Dubai is Al-Maktoum. Every emirate has its own Al. And the, and the, uh, role, the rules and the laws of the emirate are actually the rules and laws of the tribe. Means legitimate. Is Saudi Arabia considered Wait a minute, I'll, I'll give you the answer. Okay. Um, the ruling, not ruling, the leading elite of these emirates are the same families which were the, the leaders 200 years ago when they were riding camels in the desert. Okay, so today they ride 
Cadillacs. Golden Lamborghinis. What's the difference? The camel is four and four. The Lamborghinis as well. The camel has leather seats. You cannot milk a Cadillac. And so the Lamborghini has leather seats. So what? The velocity is different? Who cares? So what I mean to say is that they actually are combining the traditional structures of society and modern tools how to run the state. So this is why they are successful because they adhere to the tradition. They save the tradition. While Syria became socialist, they don't know even how to spell the word socialist, but they became Ba'athist, you know, it's a socialist. So is Iraq and so did Egypt. Uh, and, and South Yemen, until the mid-90s, was Marxist. They don't even know how to spell the word Marxist, but uh, okay, they claim that they are Marxist. You know, these Yemenite tribes who are going around barefoot uh, know nothing. Almost everyone is, there, is there illiterate. So now, tell them about Marxism. Well, you have audiobooks nowadays, so right. that's not longer I'm a problem. problem. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> so uh, these uh, European alien ideologies, which tried to uh, settle in the Middle East, totally failed because they had to kick out the traditional ideologies means Islam on one side and tribalism on the other side. Now, um, so since we evidently see that the only thing which works in the Middle East is the system of a tribe, means the Emirate, this is what I suggested uh, to solve the Israeli-Palestinian problem with, Before by you, establishing Emirates in Judea and Samaria. Before means, we jump into the Palestinian, I do want to I want to touch on Saudi Arabia because I'm trying to understand okay. what's going on there. And I think it's really interesting there, for our, our listeners to understand what happened the background. Is that the tribe of Al Saud, mm-hmm. the the man who established the the kingdom like hundred years ago, he actually incorporated other tribes by marriage. He went to a the different tribe with his two hundred fighters on young camels with two rifles on everybody. And uh, he sat with the head of the tribe which he visited. And he says, look, you have the choice between giving me your daughter and she will bear you uh, kings because I'm gonna be a king and your grandchildren will be kings or else look outside at my friends. They will take care of you. That was what, 100 years ago or something? Yeah, like even less. Mm-hmm. The beginning of the 20th century. Of the, uh, 20th century. Yeah. So, uh, there's no chance that the uh, a tribe leader will not uh, agree. So he called his daughter. She could be eight, nine, ten years old. She, uh, anyway, she cannot say no to dad. And he says, okay, pack, pack your things. And uh, you go with this man. And you're going to be his wife. This is how uh, things are being done in the Middle East. And this way, this way, he had dozens of wives. Dozens of wives. And who knows how many children. So uh, this is how he uh, uh, made sure that no tribe will rebel against him. Now, two groups in Saudi Arabia 
didn't join this uh, the party. This party. One is the Shia in the eastern part of Saudi Arabia, because a Shia will never give his door to a Sunni, because according to the Shia, the Sunnis are impure, nijis. So he will never give his door to a Sunni. And in the south of, of Saudi Arabia, uh, in the mountains of Yemen, which part of them belong to Saudi Arabia, there is another population which never joined this uh, party, as you say. Why? Because they have different culture. They, are, they have the culture of the mountains, while the King Saud, who established the, the he, he has the culture of the plain lands, of nomads, those on the on the mountains they do, they don't wander in the in the space they live on on uh, places steady places they don't move from place to place because of the mountains they occupy a mountain they sit on top of the mountain that, that's it while the bedouins in the desert are wandering according to water according to all kinds of other things so uh, so they didn't uh, by the way because of genetic issues the tribes of the Yemen, Yemenite mountains are tall. The people are tall, both men and women mm. are rather tall. While the people in the plainlands are short, normal. And there is no way that a man will give his tall daughter to a man who is shorter than her. <laughs> Even when she's eight. She's taller than the... No, no, she will grow up to be a tall girl, and wow. everybody knows, and because he will, he will uh, divorce her. Uh-huh. Because, because he will it's not, humiliating. He will not accept a woman who is taller than him. Mm-hmm. Now, you cannot cut her, sh- uh, her, her feet, so they, they don't get, uh, get involved with each other. And as a result, since they didn't join the party, the... Uh, uh, the government of Saudi Arabia incorporated them through economic issues, like uh, contracts to develop all kinds of things and to build off. Right. Uh, and the Bin Laden family mm. came from there. Uh-huh. This is why the Bin Laden family, first of all, is very tall. Osama Bin Laden yeah. himself is very tall. Part of this uh, genetic uh, issues. And uh, his family is very loyal to the country, very loyal to the state. And uh, they have a construction uh, company which also paves roads and builds uh, bridges and everything. And they have a lot of money. And, uh, but one w- went wrong. Yeah. So, so this <laughs> is... Well, every family sure. has one. I'm uh, not sure the other sheep. Bin Laden's He's the black are... sheep of the, of the family. Yeah. And, 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 the, and, the, <laughs> and the Saudi regime knows that the most people of the family are loyal, are good people. And they have, he, he doesn't means the kingdom does not blame the Bin Laden family right. for what Osama Bin Laden was doing. To there's him. nature and there's nurture, you know, right. what can you do? So okay. this explains why Saudi Arabia managed to be so big, basically, and conquer on- such a, an area. Because these tribes that this Al Saud tribe conquered they actually became part of the tribe by marriage by marriage and by and birth. the kings which we saw through the years uh-huh. who are all uh, half brothers uh, Khaled and, and Faisal mm. and Fahad and Abdallah and now Salman they're all descendants of this they're all uh, half brothers and they are all sons 
of the founding king uh, from different wives. Sons. Sons, even, not even grandsons. Even Ben Salman, uh, even MBS. Salman. Yes, even MBS is, is a son. No, of, no, Salman, his father. His son. father, so he's the grand, grandchild. He's the grandchild. Mm-hmm. And this is actually the problem mm-hmm. because all the kings until today have Or, sons. Yeah. Why should the last king, Salman, nominate his son? Why skip the, the other brother. sons, the other sons of his f- uh, brothers who were kings already? Mm-hmm. Now, don't forget that MBS, first of all, he's young. And in tribal societies, you cannot uh, circumvent uh, uh, the old people. The old people have their status. You cannot uh, take a young one and, and nominate him to be a king. It's not like ignore. in Europe where you had a boy king. Right. This one thing. Second thing, um, MBS uh, never did anything until he was nominated as, uh, as the crown prince. While his cousins... The sons of the former kings, means Abdallah, Fahad, Khaled, and all these, they were generals in the army. They were ministers in the government. They were uh, ambassadors. They know how to run big businesses. They know how to run policies. They know what budget is. means they have experience. And they are more or less 60 years old, while he is 30. So... Excuse us? That's actually what they say. To, how come you became the, the, the future king? And then, whoop, beheaded. So two, no, quick, no. two quick questions. One, before Al-Saud, was Saudi Arabia uh, like Emirates? Were they just no, a bunch of was, tribes? No, it was um, a bunch of tribes with no central government. And the Turks, who theoretically uh, controlled the country, never went into the desert. All they were interested in is the Hijaz. Hijaz is the western coast of Saudi Arabia where uh, today Jeddah, Mecca, Medina, all these towns in the western part of Saudi Arabia. They never cared about what happens inside the country. And don't forget that until 1900, they didn't know about oil. Hmm. So they didn't dig for oil and didn't know what, what this oil, what, although they have seen uh, uh, flames Coming out of the... Come out of, of, the, of, of the earth permanently. Mm-hmm. Because there's so, ga- so much gas that if you have a crack in the ground, the gas goes up and uh, by the sun it gets burnt mm-hmm. and it can burn forever. Yeah. And wow. the, the second... We, we got to get to the Palestinians. So. But I want to... The second question yeah. is, is there... The way you're describing it, it are we looking at a, at a disintegration of Saudi Arabia in the next 50 to 100 years? This might happen if the ruling family uh, will not uh, get their act together. Mm. If they start quarreling with each other, fighting with each other, uh, they are doomed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as long as they stick together to each other and uh, remain loyal to each other. Look, the MBS was uh, very problematic because he arrested some 60 of his cousins in uh, Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Riyadh, this like thousand uh, star hotel, and uh, he blackmailed them. Mm-hmm. Um, let them sleep on the ground, you know, on carpets and so forth. This is no, no behavior. Which they would accept. It's not how you treat your cousins. You, they are older than you. 
they are more experienced than you, and they are also sons of kings and, and emirs. And this is, and he did it uh, like a few months after he became the crown prince. Then came the issue of Hashukji in October 19, which definitely tarnished his uh, image and his failure in Yemen. He's the one who pushed the war in Yemen. And the humiliating attacks from Iran. And getting the humiliating, humiliating attacks from yeah. Iran, which he couldn't uh, answer. Look, the Saudi army is nothing to rely on. Mm-hmm. And if we uh, think that uh, Saudi Arabia will be a good ally to lean on, this no. is not... Okay, the, now we got to get to the Palestinians. we got to solve the problem. Okay, so, so the what, Emirates, I, what, I, the what I am calling is to establish uh, uh, seven Palestinian Emirates in the cities of Judea and Samaria, the Arab cities. One in the Arab part of Hebron for the clans of Hebron, uh, Kawasme, Natche, Tamimi, Jabri, Abusnena. Another Emirate in Jericho for the Arikats. Another one in Ramallah for the Barghouti and Tawil and Abu Ain. These are the three leading uh, uh, clans of Ramallah. Another one in Shechem, in Nablus, for the Masri, Tukan, and Shaka. Another one in Tulkarem for the Karmis, and so forth, uh, in Jenin and in Kalkilia. And this is in addition to the Emirate, which was established in Gaza 15 years ago by Hamas. And uh, Gaza is a state, whether we like it or not, yeah. whether we admit it or not. And uh, we should uh, start relating to Gaza as a state. And the Gaza rest of the territories will be annexed. annexed. to Israel. Including the Arabs In, who live including there? Including the Arabs who live there, the villagers. How many people are there? Which are more or less 15% of the population. So what is that, like 150,000, 200,000? No more. 300,000. Uh, yeah, like three, more like so 300,000. give thousands. citizenships and voting rights to hundreds of With, thousands. In a process, in a process, yes. Why? Because you cannot hold people without citizenship. And uh, and this way you, you actually let free, set free, most of the population of, of Jan Samaria, while you keep most parts of the country, of the, of the land. Mm-hmm. And this is some kind Land of... Land-wise, what's the percentage? Uh, around 85%. Meaning we keep 85% of the West Bank in Samaria? Yes. And... and uh, The rural areas. And 15% go to this 85% of the population. So it's inverted. We, 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 more or less, yes. Okay. It depends, of course, on the lines around every... But then what happens if they sh- start shooting a rocket from Janine? No, rockets no. from Janine no, or rockets no. from... This, okay, this then is what do we do? a very good question, but it's not the case. Why? The tribal culture is, says, and this is very clear, when the clans uh, receive the authority, they... Uh, have responsibility. When you push them to the margin, means you don't, then the author, you don't give them the authority, they wouldn't do anything. They will sit aside and wish you good luck. Once they get the authority, means they are, now they are on themselves. They, nobody can interfere in their issues. They will uh, be responsible because they have to... Meaning? 
What they happens have, if they will kick out all the jihadists because the jihadists want to introduce the Islamic uh, way of behavior, mm-hmm. while the tribes are acting according to the tribal uh, uh, tradition, which mm-hmm. is not Islamic. Why don't we see that in Gaza, though? If Gaza is an Amorite, because Gaza was taken over. By an organization, by the way, it's a local organization. It's not occupied by Hamas because Hamas are, as we say in Arabic, Abna al-Balad, the sons of this of the city. They are not uh, foreigners like the PLO, which we brought from uh, Tunisia. Tunis. From Tunisia, they are legitimate uh, leaders, and this, by the way, the reason why the police in Gaza doesn't walk around with weapons. Because they are not afraid of the population. But what happens if Hamas takes over an Emirate in Judea and Samaria? Again, when the Emirate gets the authority from us, they will kick the jihadists away. But wait, away. They, they get the status of a state, Look, of a country. Don't forget that they are surrounded by Israel. Every Emirate is surrounded. I know. You can tell them, hey guys, you want food? You want water? We want you to get rid of this and that. Okay, you are here. You are in the, in the, power, in the powerful side. And you'll tell them, hey guys, this, this guy is planning uh, all kinds of bad things against us. He's Hamasnik. You get rid of him, and then you get food. We'll open the gates for you. But then you're marginal. Then you're pushing him to the margin, as you said before. Well, they will know their limits, and they, they will know how to behave. But there will Look, be in the sovereign... Middle East, in the Middle East, you have to be decisive. Because otherwise, people step on you. And in other cases, they will spit on you. Because uh, in, in the Middle East, people appreciate uh, decisiveness. And those, those Emirates will be, they will have the status of an independent state. Right. right? And they, so all the Palestinians who live in Jordan, in Lebanon, in Syria, they'll be able to come back to those uh, Emirates? First of all, they will not accept them. They will accept in the Emirates only their brothers. Right. Means those who... belong to the tribes or to the clans of this, they will allow them coming back if they want. Um, they will not accept uh, other clans, only because they are uh, refugees from Hadera or from Jaffa. Right. Okay? Because tribalism is still alive and kicking, and if not also alive and killing. So here we are. Uh, this is the solution which fits the culture of the Middle East, which is based on the culture of the clan. Or the tribe it's a very interesting proposal one thing I didn't understand though is that you suggested sort of enclosing several clans in the Hevron area and Ramallah there's three you said uh, in, in one there are five in five, there are yeah. five. so in one and have, and they have uh, what they call Mahkamahshaiya means um, uh, a tribal court. A court. They know how to manage between themselves. They send the representatives to this council and they sit and, 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 and discuss everything until they find solution. This is in Hebron and Hebron. also in Ramallah and yeah, the, the clans you mentioned have already organized within... Of course, uh, they're organized always. But they organize according to that division that you just, is, right. that you just made. Because they live together and they have to manage with each other And this is why they have these courts or these councils. Uh, they, they call in Arabic another name, Jaha. Jaha is the group of old people, sheikhs, who gather whenever there is a problem. If somebody gets uh, killed by mistake, somebody else, 
immediately the jaha assembles in order to kill the fitna kill the problem in its uh, cradle mm-hmm. as they call it that's uh, interesting so i want before it becomes a big problem of blood revenge let's uh, solve it uh, when it is small and usually it's by compensations <laughs> i want to i want to take us back to what we spoke about in the in the intro so that solves let's say the west bank and judea and samaria i'm assuming that most of the arab world in israel also are descendants of clans that existed here right every arab village is a emirate factually and so do we have a problem there look the arab sector in israel usually lives in towns and neighborhoods and villages which are most of them are arabs only uh, there are some mixed uh, cities like acre like lod haifa. like haifa like uh, ramla but uh, most of the people live in in uh, one group uh, or one ethnic group uh, which lives by, by itself every one of them can be defined as an emirate not officially but factually they do whatever they like they build whatever they like they employ whoever they like means uh, even if, if if it is above the number of employees which they are allowed to have according to the rules of the ministry of interior as you know according to the size of the city or town or yeah, I mean, the local authority you cannot if you if you have a local authority of 10,000 people that 10,000 residents you cannot have 2,000 uh, uh, clerks or official of, of officers okay there is a, a chart which says uh, according to your uh, population you can have uh, such and such number of employees they in most cases have double why double some of them were nominated by the former mayor and uh, recently they have another mayor from another clan so he has to bring in his clan because he doesn't rely on the other clan but he cannot fire the others so he has to pay salaries to the one half which works and the one half which sits at home because he we cannot, pay the salaries of course yeah so but the and then the government uh, shuts up because uh, the government want prefers yeah prefers trouble. to you know only recently The, minis- the, the municipality of Taibe uh, w- was given a moratorium of like, as, if I remember the number, 67 million shekel, which is like $20 million. Uh, they just erased all these debts because, uh, because these debts uh, are from this kind of uh, right. uncontrolled uh, 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 So what do we do? What do we do? I mean... Again, like Ethan says, after what happened in May, we cannot we have so many problems with one million uh, Israeli citizens who are who define themselves Arab Palestinians and you want to bring in 300,000 more. Uh, we can't handle those we have. Well, the alternative is to establish a Palestinian state, which will be as successful as Syria, Iraq, Libya, Yemen, and so forth. Don't forget that the PA, Uh, had elections in 2006 mm-hmm. and Hamas uh, actually won that elections and until this very day since it was the so far last uh, elections in the PA 
since 2006, until now it's 15 years, Hamas still has the majority of the seats of the Palestinian Legislative Council. So it can happen again. It means Hamas could uh, take the Palestinian country, uh, country or Palestinian state by voting or by force, as they did in Gaza in June of 2006, of 2007. Mm-hmm. Okay? So either by elections or by coup d'etat, Hamas will control the Palestinian state. Inevitably. Either or. Choose the way. Okay? So who with the right mind will establish a Palestinian state which can turn into another Hamastan either by elections or by coup d'etat? But what do we do with, with all the Palestinian citizens of Israel then? Well, this is another another. You opera. thought you'd come here and solve this, just one problem. We want you to solve them the all. whole thing. <laughs> this is another problem. And you know what? Let me tell you something. With the time. Were you surprised in May when you saw the lynches and the, the riots? and the, Yes. You were surprised. Yes. Because, uh, of course, I had the explanation. The riots were uh, some kind of jihad, mm-hmm. no doubt. And this is how we should call it. Mm-hmm. You know, a spade should be named a spade. And this was a street jihad, because jihad, as you know, the war for Islam has all kinds of manifestations. Economic jihad is the BDS. Uh, Sword jihad is what we saw, the war. We have media jihad. It's the Al Jazeera, or Al Manar, or Hezbollah, or Al Alam of the Iranians. This is kind of media jihad. Or social media jihad, that they have all kinds of uh, websites and uh, uh, hackers. Facebook hackers of uh, they use the social media uh, as a kind of jihad because jihad is actually um, what we say in Hebrew hishtadlut um, effort 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 which struggle I would say hard effort uh, and this is actually what jihad Jihad could have all kinds of uh, manifestations. You know, the arsons, you know, the fires which they set in uh, groves and in uh, forests, this is another kind of jihad in order to burn the country on the Jews. Mm -hmm. So Um, you weren't surprised? uh, Stealing cars. You know, once I spoke to a a, a car car dealer, a dealer, he... His friends are stealing the cars and he sells them after he changes the license plate. So he says, what do you mean? You occupied my country. I take your cars. <laughs> well, wh- where is the problem? You stole my country. I steal your cars. You, my when country, you put it that way. My country was more than your car. So I still have more to steal. You know, <laughs> and yet they burned a hotel and burned a person my to friend, death. Yeah, Abby Harriman, my friend, yeah. was, was burned. You death. knew him? Of course. He was a, he, he was a member in Bessa Center in Barilan, where I'm also a member. And I know, knew him personally. We wow. met in many conferences. We spoke much. So uh, definitely uh, you see this all kinds of manifestations of jihad. And uh, look, uh, in Al Jazeera, there was a program named Al Sharia Wal Hayat, means Sharia and life, Sharia law and life. The one who presented this uh, program was uh, the Sheikh Yusuf Karadawi, the head of the Muslim Brotherhood. Until recently, now he's not well, but 
for many years he was the speaker and the leader of the Muslim Brotherhood. In the beginning of the Intifada, of the, more or less in the 2000 or 2001, he was sitting in his, in his studio, and towards the end of the program, they let uh, phone calls to ask all kinds of questions about uh, the Islamic law. So uh, one of the days, uh, when the Intifada was already here, uh, a lady calls, and she says from Syria, from, she lives in Khalab, and she sees on TV day and night what the Zionists are doing to the poor Palestinians. She has seven kids. She cannot uh, go and fight against the Israelis. She has no money to give to the Palestinians. She has nothing. What can she do? That's what she's asking. For the jihad of the Palestinians. How, she, how can she support them? So he says, look, in your prayers to Allah, please ask Allah to support the Palestinian jihadists. And this will be jihad of the prayer. This is another kind of jihad with a prayer. So pray, maybe this is why the May uh, events happened. Pray for the success of the jihadists. If this is all you can do, do it. And this is okay. And this actually what uh, uh, Karadawi said to this uh, lady. Mm -hmm. So uh, here we are. The, the jihad is the struggle of Muslims in general in Islam in order to promote Islam and to set all the other religions back. Is it is it fair to say, and you know, we're probably gonna get a lot of backlash for this, but is it fair to say that jihad is the freedom of the Arab world? Like freedom Islamic is the, world. Yeah. Like freedom is the you know, no. is the highest value in the Western world. But jihad Jihad is the war, the, the religious, the sacred war, yeah. which Muslims can wage against others in order to occupy their lands, in order to occupy their bodies, especially their daughters' bodies, and to occupy their assets. Yeah, you that's mean, what I'm saying. I, what I'm value. saying is, what I'm saying, as freedom is to the West, as freedom is to America, right? Am Americans grow up and they are taught, no they are educated. No, 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 you don't get to one minute. As the Americans are educated on the, the most Americans grow up where the most important value in their mind is freedom. That's what they're taught, right? The constitution, we the people, free speech. Right. I'm wondering if in the Islamic world, it's fair to say that most Islamic kids in the Arab world grow up thinking jihad is the most important value. Definitely, because, first of all, uh, uh, freedom is, is nothing in Islam. Mm -hmm. it, of course, they will tell you that all men were born free, yes, but free to worship Allah. If you don't worship Allah and adhere to his orders, you lost your freedom. Your freedom is only as long as you worship Allah and fulfill his commandments. And commandments are prayer, uh, give money to the poor people, go to Hajj, fast on Ramadan, and uh, going to jihad. Mm -hmm. And jihad, again, could be all kinds of jihad. It could be economic jihad, could be media jihad, could be uh, jihad by the sword, and all kinds of others. So there's nothing we can do. That those people have jihad implemented in their souls. And we will. We just need to sit and wait to the next. Wait. No, we have to first of all to understand it, and once we understand it, we can tell them, "Hey guys, 
uh, it's your choice. Either, either you live in peace with us, and the, according to the Islamic tradition, there is a way to live, to live in temporary peace with the infidels. This is based on a precedent which uh, Muhammad already had a temporary peace with the infidels of uh, Mecca. So, uh, and this uh, temporary peace will uh, last only as long as the enemy is too powerful and too dangerous to mess with. So, if we are powerful and too dangerous to mess with, temporary peace will be signed. And if we are uh, powerful and dangerous forever, we will have temporary peace forever. <laughs> When nice. you laugh. No, 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 it's good. I like it. I like the approach. It's very pragmatic. It's pragmatic. It's adjusting your expectations to their abilities. Yet, you can impose your agenda on them if you are powerful and... Uh, It's a big if. ...and decisive and too uh, dangerous to mess with. And if not? You are doomed by one or another. Like the Europeans today. They let all these Muslims in. And the Muslims are taking the European countries by birth. It will take a generation, two generations, maybe three. And Europe is doomed. No doubt. Just look at the numbers, right? Right. Yeah. And the growing they numbers. They hide the numbers. Like in France, they hide the numbers. So. But the birth rate of the Muslim community in Europe is probably above one. Ten times. Right. The and the birth rate of Europeans is below. Negative, of course. Negative. And so yeah. you give it a hundred years and Europe is Muslim course, again. Yeah. No doubt. The quiet, the quiet jihad. Jihad, yeah. No, no. They call it the, jihad of the kids. hijra. The hijra jihad. The, they yes. have a name for it. The jihad of migration. Wow. And in, in the States, I saw a document talks about settlement jihad. Means to settle in the States, to become a citizen, to establish all kinds of organizations, and um, to promote the Islamic cause. And uh, this is a settlement jihad. Yeah. You know, uh, last story before we wrap things up. Uh, I was now in... A f- in a Uh, in Germany and in one of the cities in Leipzig in in the square you go out of the, like the city is silent you know it's so peaceful so so polite you don't hear car uh, wonks or anything yeah, but but then you uh, you go out from the train station there and in the big square there's a huge tent of Islamists uh, with music loud music and you know in in the face of the Germans. converting people uh, to Islam with huge inscriptions uh, in, in Arabic. And I'm like, this country is doomed. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. They brought them without any restriction, hoping that there will come Germans at the end of the day. Some of them did, mm-hmm. but uh, many of them have not. Okay, we okay. got to wrap things up. Uh, you have books, many books. People can buy them at, on Amazon. No, I, on... I wrote... Unfortunately, only one book. Ah, okay. Because I realized that people do not read books. Okay. People are watching uh, 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 clips. People are listening to podcasts like yours. Uh, people are reading maybe articles on websites. And this, uh, if you want to be influential, uh, get away from books. Because okay. books are... I wrote only one, which is a derivative of my do- do- doctoral thesis. 
It was published in 2005 by Sussex Academic Press. And the title is uh, in Assad in Search of Legitimacy, Message and Rhetoric in the Syrian Press under Hafez and Bashar. Interesting. Uh, very interesting, uh, but uh, still uh, restricted to those who, right. who want to know about uh, Syria. But you have many lectures on YouTube. Many lectures and articles and so forth. So This just is write on more YouTube, Mordecai uh, Kedar. Mordecai Kedar, just uh, Google it. And you have plenty of lectures. You have plenty of uh, interviews that are also, in, as we mentioned in the, in the intro, with, on Instagram. Arab-speaking television channels, which I think is fascinating. People yeah, they, really... they keep uh, inviting me. First of all, because I'm speaking Arabic. Secondly, because I give them the show. Because they want a show. Even if, if I represent uh, Israel and the Zionism and so forth. You're the resident like. Jew. Yes. <laughs> I, I am not the image which they always have about a religious Jew, which uh, doesn't know how to mumble in Arabic. Not to mention you're the darkest Polish guy I've ever seen. Of course. Thank you. <laughs> so, especially with my uh, white hair. But um, uh, for them, it is some kind of a challenge. I know that in Jazeera, they were inviting me in order to defeat me on air. Okay. Or to use me as a punching bag. They've yet to succeed. Uh, in my case, the bag punches back. But <laughs> 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 and you're on uh, like social media. How can people, uh, you do lectures. How can people reach out to you uh, if they're interested in a lecture? Uh, just uh, write to me by email. Okay. Kedar.tour, K-E-D-A-R.T-O-U-R at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And this is my email address. Also Zoom for events? Zoom, definitely. Okay. This is the email which I use for, for an events like tour, you know, uh, lecture tours and so forth. Perfect. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming. Before we go, uh, we are uh, collab- in collaboration with Arutz Sheva. Check them out at israelnationalnews.com. Also, also we, this episode is sponsored uh, by Masa Israel yes. Journey, masaisrael.org. Check them out at masaisrael.org for wonderful opportunities in Israel. Uh, gap programs academic programs internships volunteering uh, check them out messiahisrael.org you can really really find an amazing way to visit Israel and to make your dreams come true last but not least Australian Jewish news ajn.timesofisrael.com and we accept donations and buy our mugs at 200b.com slash merch and this is it thank you so much Dr. Kedal pleasure my see you next time thank bye you. guys bye guys bye guys